but he cannot love something if he does not love himself. You love your neighbor as yourself. So the true warrior, he fights and sacrifices for that which he loves, but he cannot love properly if he does not love himself. When he doesn't love himself, what happens? Anger and ambition. Both those things drive him, and he has this relentless pursuit of making his presence felt. everyone. Thanks for joining us. Another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are so blessed that you are here. Who are we? We are the hosts of The Catholic Gentleman. I'm John Heinen. We've got Devin Schaud, who's the executive director of Father St. Joseph. We've got Sam Guzman, who's the founder of The Catholic Gentleman, and um, all of us uh, striving for holiness. So, Sam, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Enjoying some beautiful weather here in Oklahoma. Oh, amen. And Devin, how's life uh, treating you? Not in Oklahoma. Jealous of Sam and his nice weather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we're this is uh, this episode's coming out the first week of Advent. Uh, I'd love to just uh, chat briefly, men. What do you guys do for for Advent? What what festivities or lack thereof um, are you <laughs> are you uh, prioritizing? Yeah, this Advent. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I think really Advent for us is is. Um, about cultivating prayer and wonder. Um, and we have some really beautiful kids books that go through all the different weeks of Advent and uh, with just beautiful little stories of, you know, fictionalized, of course, but about like the struggles of Mary and Joseph as they're on their way to Bethlehem. And they're just really beautiful, like little stories that emphasize the miraculousness of the season but also the simplicity and like austerity that Mary and Joseph had to undergo as they were on their way, but like how little miracles happened to pave the way for them. And again, it's, it's fictionalized, but it really cultivates that spirit of like the miraculous around Christmas. And we really love those. So we read those as a family and uh, us adults, like we love them too. Like they're just really beautiful stories. Um, they kind of help you get out of perhaps like the materialistic mindset um, that can pervade um advent and christmas where it's like just all about the stuff the deals you can score or like yeah you know the perfect gift you can give or whatever and then like it's all very materialistic which is really the antithesis of what advent and christmas are all about right they're really about stepping out of materialism into the supernatural into uh another order of being if you will and so like like these just really kind of entering into that spirit is like really what we're all about as a family during advent that's great. And Devin, you've had more Advents than we have. Not combined, but a lot of Christmas shopping, getting up the Christmas lights, you know, racking up credit card debt. Now, I, <laughs> uh, no, we love singing. So, like, we're not singers, but we love to sing around the dinner table these Advent songs, you know, whether it's O Come, O Come, Emmanuel or Creator of the Stars of Night, but to really just try to, you know, like Sam, you like the candle at dinner. I love that. We do that as well. We try to make that dinner experience uh, almost one of just the season of preparation. For me personally, too, I love to relate the gospel to the family at night after dinner. Um, but me personally, I just need to go into the silence. I mm-hmm. need to just prep and I just need to meditate with the Lord on the scriptures and just try to go to a deeper place with him. So this is a, this is my favorite season. And the church calendar. I absolutely love it. I love the idea of preparing for his real second coming. Um, 
and that's that's the whole focus. No, I think that's exciting. Yeah. So, uh, Sam, going back to these kids stories, I happened to pick up a book uh, from Costco the other day that was, uh, you know, like basically literary Advent Christmas stories throughout the history. And we had like Dostoevsky and there's Dickens, multiple Dickens and and just tons of stories. I don't know if you've ever read those, but those do not get you in the Christmas mood <laughs> because I there's kids freezing to death. There is, you know, we we see our Christmas time or Advent time under this consumerist, modern, you know, affluent lens. But it it wasn't, you know, up until the last, I don't know, 50, 60, maybe 70 years that that, that was a real active thing. You know, prior to that, I know that they it was too cold and there was a lot of non people out of work and they didn't have money to uh to take care of and get gifts and have um you know have these festivities that's a, another podcast for another time but uh likewise i do the <laughs> do the uh candle and uh and that's a blessing and then i actually give something up at advent time intentionally right so that penitential season to try and and um to try and enter in and really I do always have the end in mind, right? That feast. And that I know that by denying myself, right, that feast is going to be all the greater as God has ordained it. And so, well, praise mm-hmm. God. And for all of our listeners praying for you guys in, in this Advent season. So if you like what we're doing here at The Catholic Gentleman, I'd encourage you to head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus. We're coming out with uh, new episodes, new uh, longer episodes. This episode comes out twice as long, um, maybe not twice as long, sometimes. Uh, there at Catholic Gentleman Plus, we also have sessions every month. It supports The Catholic Gentleman, helps us keep on doing uh, this work to uh, reach the hearts and minds of men and, and transform them uh, to Christ. And so we'd appreciate your prayers and head over there if you're looking for something to uh, dive into and better understand. So today's topic, we are going to discuss uh, two uh, things necessary to be a true man, right? So two archetypes, if you will, necessary to be a true man. And I kind of wanted to start and talk about um, what an archetype is. And then I wanted to discuss why we chose these two in particular. And so For our listeners, an archetype is just something that um, displays a certain characteristic uh, or a usual or um, consistent characteristic of a particular person or particular group, and in this case, men. Um, And and two, Jung had like, I think, 12 archetypes, and there was like tons of different, throughout the ages, we've had different people that talk about different archetypes and different ways to understand uh, um, what is going on within us and and how to, to better relate to that. And so... With that, Sam, I'd love to hear your thoughts on on archetypes and how real and how close they are to to reality, um, but how helpful they are to to better understanding the human person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I would say like an archetype is, is like a universal pattern, right? That yeah. that that can be embodied at different times and different places in your life. Um, so, for example, like being a father is actually an archetype. Like there's a there's a universal pattern there um to uh procreative uh, generativity if you will or like creation like that, that kind of uh goes into being a father and there's different attributes of the father that we see in some of these stories that really embody that like uh homer and the like his odyssey right where there's there's kind of this this journey into fatherhood and things like that and it, it, our, our modern mindset can be very literal um and and we've kind of lost the sense of mythology and metaphor and things that 
used to really define the way that ancient peoples um, really up until very recently thought about the world. They, they thought about things as stories um, and, and stories, meaning uh, the meaning that facts make, you know, like there's the literal facts of what happens, but then there's the, the meaning that human beings make out of those facts, which then become stories. Um, and, and this, you know, kind of modern clinical scientific mindset that we've had has tried to delete all of that and just get down to the raw facts of reality, whatever, you know, whatever that is, what can be scientifically verified. The problem is nobody actually lives their life in this sterile, emotionless world of random facts. Um, and so what archetypes really are is just universal patterns um, that all of our that all of our life journeys um, follow to one extent or another. You know, the hero's journey and then different things like that, where these stories are really universal. Um, and so being like meditating on archetypes, if you will, is like. What are these universal patterns, first of all? And like, how do we embody them as men, um, especially these masculine archetypes, these masculine patterns, um, and live them out in our own life? Um, or how does our life reflect them already? Because they may all we may already be embodying some of these archetypes without realizing it. But once we kind of put the pieces together and enter into this larger story, it makes a lot more sense out of our life. And I think modern people are kind of floundering around, like trying to figure out who they are and what they are, largely because we lost touch with these bigger picture stories and patterns that really are universal to being human. Um, now, as Christians, as Catholics, like uh, our ultimate archetype, our ultimate pattern is Jesus Christ. Like he is the ultimate pattern of what it means to be human and really embodies like all these lesser archetypes that that uh, psychologists and, and spiritual um, teachers through the ages have kind of identified. Christ embodies all of them in one yeah. way or another. Um, and we see that in the Gospels, how, you know, one at one moment, Christ could be the warrior, you know, and he could be confronting evil and speaking truth uh, and, and taking huge risks. Um, and putting himself in danger of, out of love for others. Uh, and then in other moments, you know, he could be incredibly sensitive and compassionate and embody a completely different kind of masculinity, but they're not mutually exclusive. Um, yeah. Like we all embody these different archetypes at different points and different uh, moments in our life. Like it would not be appropriate to be the warrior 100% of the time. You're going to hurt people if you do that. Um, but likewise, like you don't also need to be the lover all the time. Sometimes you do need to be the warrior. Um, so all that to say, like these patterns, like we all have them inside of us. Sometimes they just need to be activated or nurtured or developed. Um, but they're all in there, uh, because, you know, we're all human and we, these are all things that are universal to being a human being. Um, but sometimes they need to be developed and 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 brought out in different aspects of our life. So I hope that all makes sense. But that's, yeah. that's a few thoughts, introductory thoughts. Who are to you guys? I mean, who are some warrior archetypes? George Patton, you know, General Patton in World <laughs> War II. I mean, man, that guy was just like. He was just a warrior, you know, like he did yeah. not get in his way. Uh, he would take you down, you know, so like he's one that just jumps right right away for me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, my mind goes towards what you've already brought up in scripture is, is the different of St. Joseph and of, of Christ. Um, that's where I mind. And not, not, to, not to try and <laughs> spiritualize everything, but right when you asked that question and when I was reflecting on this, um, that's exactly where my mind went and how those guys, but it also went to, to uh, like Aragorn. Right. It also went to um, Gandalf and in some of these Lord of the Rings. And uh, and um, I was uh, uh, thinking recently, Sam, on that episode with Jason Craig, where he um, he was talking about the Dungeons and Dragons Catholics. And you commented, um, do you wear a sword to the grocery store? And um, (laughs) and so while I was actually thinking about this warrior and the fact that I thought of Aragorn and Gandalf made me think of that. But honestly, I don't always think of Lord of the Ring for everything. Um, but it happened too. when <laughs> thinking about this. What about you, Devin? What do you think of when you, yeah, think I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, obviously there's Alexander the great Napoleon and all these, you know, but I, I really think that when we look at the scriptures, we've got Gideon, you know, very small army of men who ends up, you know, acquiring a great victory, Samson, you know, Judith, even a feminine warrior who cuts off the head of Holofernes, um, Judas Maccabeus though. Maccabeus. Yeah. He, he's the man. I mean, I love reading Maccabees because of that guy. It, it yeah. just sets me on fire, but you know what? St. Peter, St. Peter literally attempted to cut off the head of Malchus. He missed, mm. but I mean, he was a warrior, you know, he got his ear. But mm. I mean, these are some of the Christian examples of men who fight for the just due, the due that is supposed to be given by justice to the one who needs to be protected. And I think that when we look at a warrior, this is very interesting because the scripture says, I think it's in Exodus, the Lord is a man of war, almighty, or, or some translations, warrior is his name. And so we really need to look at that and say, we need warriors. We need mm-hmm. fighters. We need soldiers. We need men who are willing to defend and fight for what is right, for the just do. And so the just warrior, the man of just war, we need those men. We need to protect the wronged. And that's a justice that we owe one another. And I think maybe you guys can correct me a I, I, I might be wrong on this, but for the Greeks, that thumos, that spiritedness was what really drove the warrior, you know? And so I think that we really need to give the warrior his due, especially in our culture of the nice guy gospel. I mean, you've got total, like, talk about archetypes. You you yeah. know, you've got the ultimate fighting guy, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and then you've got the pacifist up them in uh, Saving Private Ryan, which I would really yeah. like to t- talk about in the deficiency kind of aspect of all this. But yeah, so that's that's kind of my take. Yeah. And I think it's important to acknowledge too is that all of these archetypes, whether it's a warrior or you know the lover or the king or like these different archetypes, they all have like a dark side to them. Yeah. Like where they're uh, an unhealthy uh incarnation of them where you know the warrior can be incredibly disciplined he can be very focused he can be very self-controlled that's like the, the the kind of the good side of the warrior you know you think of like a samurai who's like incredibly disciplined loyal you know it does his code of honor things like that or you could or the warrior can be like in that aggressive guy who's always picking fights at the bar always you know any sense of like disrespect he's gonna like you know 
knock you out or tune you up or whatever, or it's just like this, this aggressive, hostile energy that wants to destroy. Like that's like the unhealthy version of it. And each of the, each of the different uh, archetypes you can identify has like a, a dark side and, and, and a well-developed healthy side. Um, but just to clarify for everyone, the two that we're going to talk about today is the warrior and the lover and like how that relates to uh, us as men. So yeah, yeah, like love that. Like the warrior is necessary in society. Like we just had veterans day not too long ago with St. Martin of tours and things like that, where it's like, you know, that is something that we have to honor. And we still like in a pale way, perhaps like honor in, in our, our cultural calendar. Um, but in our own lives as well, we also need to have respect for that and honor that. Yeah. And I would just add Sam to what you're saying about these archetypes and about the dark side, that it's helpful for us to recognize that in other people. And helpful to us to recognize that in kind of society, as you were saying, because I know um, the more that we understand this kind of forward um, uh, pinnacle, if you will, of the archetype, right? So of of the warrior in its fullness, right? And and how that um, we fight for the good, we fight for uh, that which is passion, you know, which we love and which we are committed to, and those sort of things. The reverse of that is, as you were saying, and maybe even a little different, um, you can be a sadist, right? You can be a masochist, right? You can fall into these things where I'm strong, I can control. Um, You could be a tyrant. I know that, you know, that kind of goes into the king archetype, but it's still Hmm. to understand when you're doing those things, you're not living to the fullness of this archetype and what it means to be a man. And so when I am reflecting on um, my life, because those patterns, Sam, and I love, I'm so glad that you were the first person to really start talking about archetypes here, because those patterns that continue continually come across, um, our lives individually, but also kind of all men. And when I'm reflecting on my life as a child, and I try and think about this war yourself, you know, I can think of myself as a kid, right? Playing with guns, playing with knives, not real guns. <laughs> yes, sometimes real knives. And uh, and loving that opportunity to go adventure, right? I love to go to the creek. I actually wanted to see poisonous snakes and coyotes because it was the thought of like, this is going to be it. Like, I'm going to have to take out my knife and I'm going to have to stab this coyote. And in God's goodness, that never happened. <laughs> I was never called to yeah. that. But there was this this kind of longing. And when I look at my sons, and um, uh, I know both of you can bring up similar stories, but when I look at my sons here, I see that my three-year-old is Spider-Man all the time. <laughs> We're sitting in church, and he started, like, shooting at the at the um, uh, stained glass windows, uh, his Spider-Webs. <laughs> and I was trying to tell him, no, no, it's got to stay focused, you know, not right now. And he's like, I am Spider-Man. Like, you know, people need my saving. And it is, it's these patterns they're they're built within us and and they teach us about ourselves and in teaching us and understanding us about um, who we are and how god created us we can better live to that fullest right we can better understand that and i do think it's incredibly helpful to have these archetypes um in mind to understand our relationship with our spouse um and to actually communicate about that with our spouse. And it comes across in different ways and in different situations. But um, I loved your comment on pattern and just thinking about patterns within my own life and how that continues. But then we often, unfortunately, deaden it as we get older, right? Mm-hmm. Um, life takes over. We um, we get depressed. We uh, go into a world that tells us that, uh, you know, peace is, is the 
primary existence of man and therefore, you know, it should be always preferred to conflict regardless of the cost, right? And then, you know, it's just kind of such a polar opposite view to what we see in scripture and even what we, you know, feel or experience within ourselves. Yeah, where there is truth, there is conflict. And where there is truth, there must be the warrior who defends it. Mm. Yeah, and I, and I think it's it's important to acknowledge too that the warrior doesn't always have to be fighting a human enemy in the sense of you you're you're the thing that that I'm going to get aggressive against. Sometimes the warrior uh, can also fight obstacles. Like I have this goal in mind. You know, you think of like St. Francis Xavier, like going on these mission trips or something. Like my goal is to like convert these people to the Catholic faith or whatever. Like that's his goal. He's not out there trying to, you know, mow down people in a, in a physical way. He's actually trying to save them. But there was huge obstacles to that. Like, you know, how am I going to get to China, you know, like, how am I going to get to, you know, India or whatever, like massive, like logistical obstacles, issues of money, issues of health, like, you know, am I going to get sick and die on the way there? Like just huge obstacles. And yet this passionate drive, um, that spiritedness you're talking about, like, like I'm, I'm going for it and nothing's going to stand in my way, you know, because this goal is so worth it. I guess I want to stay on this path of of talking about um, uh, from a warrior that has something to fight for, something to provide, and something to protect, right, to what it means to actually be a lover. And I feel like we don't um, – this, this isn't something that is discussed – frequently enough, I honestly never heard this stuff until I was an adult. And and I never heard about archetypes. And I never heard about this warrior within me. I knew it, right? I experienced it. And so I'm so grateful to be talking about this now. But there, the lover can be misused as well, right? This archetype of a lover, what we're always trying to do here is we're talking about what is immature masculinity and what is mature masculinity and what does that look like? And so I really want to talk about um, what does it mean to be a lover, and how do we best um, uh, exemplify that or, or actually um, live in that for our wives, our children, our neighbors, and those around us? So I'd like to take some time to talk about this. Um, yeah. and, and Devin, love to hear what, you're, what, what, what you would like to bring up in relationship to, yeah. to being a lover. This is a big deal. I think this is probably yeah. one of the most difficult aspects of the spiritual life for men. I want to be, you know, besides lust and what I'm talking about is the positive aspect of the spiritual life. This is most difficult. And here's why, because in order, like we were saying earlier, in order to be a warrior, I fight for that, which I love in order to fight for that, which I love, I have to allow myself to be loved. And we, we get this from the two greatest commands, right? Jesus says, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Notice that the, the second commandment is contingent on you loving yourself. This isn't Oprah, self-help, Joel Olstein kind of stuff. You know, this is, this is you have to figure out how to properly love yourself. Now, how do you do that? That presupposes something. You have to allow yourself to be loved. And this is where it gets tough for guys because I believe that we're to kind of be loved in three relational ways with God. The first way is the filial way, father to son. So you're to be loved as a son. You're to be loved as a brother. And now this is where it gets weird. And 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 
you probably were going to get a lot of hate mail or something on this, but you got to be loved as a bride. Mm-hmm. Okay, because that's what the church is and that's what we are. And so that's where it gets really tough because as a son, it's okay. I, you know, I'm loved through the call to more, you know, responsibility, encouragement, you know, even discipline and punishment sometimes, but the encouragement and the attaboys from even from God, you know, the greater responsibility as we hear in today's gospel, you know, but then there's the brother, which is love through camaraderie and performance. Yeah. You know, hey, you did great. You know, you know, let's go get them, Tiger. You know, we're to get in this together. But here's where it gets weird. The bride is the one who allows themselves to become receptive to love in a more dilated way where it's not as much active. Okay. So we become receptive to the divine lover. And this receptivity allows us to really become resistant, incredibly strong. And I think that there's a huge message in here on how to do that. And I love the song of songs because it reveals the plan that God has for the beloved. That's us. And yeah. if we can learn to love in this way, and I'm, I don't want to hijack this conversation at all, but I think if we could get back to this at some point on how we actually allow ourselves to be loved as the beloved, this would be huge. Yeah. I would say in our modern sensibilities too, some of that's, that's, that's really difficult. When I was taking medieval theology uh, in my grad school with an incredible professor who just was, had a galactic intellect, I remember we got to the Song of Songs. I can't remember <laughs> if it was St. Gregory or who it was. And they wrote an essay on the first line, kiss me with a kiss from thy mouth. And it's relationship to this male saint, yep. to that intimacy with Christ. Yep. And I remember being scandalized. I remember struggling to to comprehend, you know, not speaking that outwardly, but um, but trying to understand that uh, receptive love, like you were saying, and how even ecstasy in this life points to the end. And as we've talked about, that a, a man's body is not completed without a woman's body. And then that in that union, we better perfect the image of God. Mm in the world. And, and so now bringing this to our relationship with Christ <laughs> without filtering, you know, um, how we can achieve that is, is very difficult for men. I completely agree with you, Sam. I'd love to hear your, your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think this actually, uh, the, the first, first of all, let me say something about the lover archetype. One, yeah. one, one is that it, it's, it is about it is about passion. It is about emotion. This is about um, you know the being in touch with the beauty and mystery of the world, not just other human beings, but also the world in general. Like this is where poetry comes from. Like this is a place from which you know the great poets have tried to articulate this. There's something more to the world that we all like can feel at different moments in our life. Like you're just you're sitting on a beach at sunset and like the waves are gently crashing on the shore and like the sun and like, you just know there's something more to the world. You feel that sense of like the numinous, you know, or like, mm. you know, you're in the mountains and like just seeing these huge vistas and you just feel dwarfed by it. Like just, just something happens to your soul in those moments. And that's what poets are in touch with. You have that deep emotional life and poets are lovers, right? Like, and they're sensitive to that. And they can communicate that to the rest of us who in our workaday world can kind of lose touch with that reality, even though it's always there. Um, and 
hey, let's face it, many of the great poets in history have been men, like it's, and, and many beautiful yeah. women poets as well. But but the point being, like men are capable of that. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, like uh, I was reading a little bit about, like you know, how, like sometimes this even involves, like you know, you think of the the guys that are enjoying the good life with like a bottle of wine and like delicious food. You know, like the French are like kind of the culture that typifies this, right? Like they're just sitting on the patio, sipping wine and just enjoying life and the beauty of life, you know, and it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be decadent. It doesn't have to, they're just enjoying the good things that God's given us. Um, uh, so that's kind of like the lover encompasses all of that. It's not just romantic love, but I think the key here is receptivity. And this kind of goes into psychology where, you know, I think there's a lot of evidence to show that we have within us, even us men, both um, like a psychological masculine and a psychological feminine. Now, when I say feminine, I don't mean biologically. I don't, I don't mean that. I'm talking about listening, receptivity, like gentleness, nurturing, like those are all feminine tendencies. And for, for men, that often lies dormant and we have to like work to activate that part of ourselves, which we've talked about in our episodes, like on marriage and things like that, doesn't come easily to us. Um, but it, and I think a whole human being is someone who's in touch with, you know, and for men, like the, the masculine psychology of aggression, competition, assertion, you know, building and creativity, like those things are often, um, they come very easily, right? But they are dominant in us. Um, but we do have the ability to cultivate these other tendencies as well. And even it's mirrored in the two halves of the brain, uh, kind of mimic this parallel way of seeing the world and we have to bring both kind of into to harmony and that's kind of what i think a fully developed man looks like likewise women also have the ability to be masculine in the sense of assertive aggressive like you know going after goals like i think of like someone like Teresa of avila she was just this beautiful feminine woman but also like she was fierce you know like when you know reforming the carmelite order things like that we also see it with like joan of arc of course or like like the women have the capacity to be very psychologically speaking masculine as well and that's that's beautiful a well-developed woman can be that in the right circumstances while also being motherly and nurturing and things like that so i guess what i'm saying is though in regards to God, like C.S. Lewis once said, like, like nothing is more masculine than God. Like, he's just like, he is the creator, you know, like he is the father, he is the source, like, you know, and, and there's that, that masculinity there. But in regards to God, like the soul is always receptive. Like, like we really, like, we don't assert when it comes to God, we listen, we receive, we reflect, like those are all psychologically speaking, feminine tendencies, you know, and like you're saying, like we have to get in touch with that or you're not going to have much of a soul life. Uh, and, and so men can be very outwardly action oriented goals, accomplishments, but we have to learn to like yeah. awaken this side of ourselves, the, the lover side, the one that's in touch with emotions, the one that can receive both the world, other people and God as well. Um, yeah. Or we're always going to be stunted as men. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think this um, this theme of receptivity uh, is going to be my final thought on this as well, is that when we look to Christ as our example, we see this across the board. When Christ looked to the world, he was sheer masculine. He did 
everything yes. with the masculine, perfect fullness of all the archetypes that you could possibly think of. Of course, the two we're talking today. But then when he turned to God, he was very receptive. He was in need of, of God the Father, right? To to push forth his 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 life uh, giving love and his um and and be able to receive that so that he could give to the world and i'm thinking now when i talk to you guys have got me thinking about this when i'm talking to so many of of the men in my life i'll go on podcasts or i'll go uh to friends of mine and i'll ask them just kind of how their spiritual life are just doing and they they kind of look dead into you know to me and they're like ah oh, you know i miss praying uh, I was like, well, when's the last time you you prayed? And and oftentimes it's like, well, I mean, I pray kind of throughout the day. No, no, like when's a meditative? When are you sitting in that chair? When are you going yes. to your tent? When are you experiencing that prayer? And sometimes it's been weeks since they've had that moment, but they're just so busy and they're good men and they're going to church and they're trying to raise their family and they're trying to, um, as that meme that you sent me today, uh, Sam, they're thinking through all the thousands of different ways to be a good father, be a good husband, <laughs> provide for my family, you know, uh, be be a good son of God, but they're not giving themselves that which is most important. We see Fulton Sheen who went to adoration for an hour every single day and never missed it. We see Mother Teresa who, when she was talking to um, uh, Benedict Rochelle and he was expressing to her how he can't go to adoration every day because he's so busy with the poor and with the in his, um, his counseling practice and stuff. And she said, those sound like all the reasons why you have to go to adoration every day. And and so two I hours. just, yeah, please. Yeah, exactly. No, two, hours. Just two hours, two hours, hours. Yeah. Two. Not just one. Exactly. And, and men, we have to take this on very seriously as ourselves. We have to humble ourselves to understand that this is what God has required of us. We have to go to that prayer time, whether it's dry for two years we have to go to that prayer time and allow ourselves to be to receive God's grace, to receive his love, and to receive the consolation that he desires to give us. And we have to pray about that. And and I just, I, I think about, um, there was a quote that I dropped down here um, from Peter, 1 Peter 5, I can't find it. Um, but where basically we need to humble ourselves in the God uh, in in God so that He will bring us um, in good time to to the to its fullness, right? He's our perfecter, and we get to share in that with Him. But if we're ignoring Him, we're going to we're going to miss the mark. We're never going to live to that fullness of of all these archetypes in the man that uh, the mature man um, that we were created to be. And, and let me just say real quick, like just everything you're saying like a hundred percent like and men realize this is essential it makes you squirm a little bit when you think about like the lover but john henry Cardinal lumen said that like every christian should be a poet and to be a poet you sh that means you see more to the world you receive the world in a deeper way which means being in tune with your emotional life and things like that and and this is essential if you if you are a hundred percent the warrior you're gonna be toxic you're gonna hurt people if you're 100% the lover, you're going to be effeminate. Uh, mm -hmm. But what we need is both. We need to bring them both into harmony. And if you're struggling with this, my final thing that I would leave you with is get out of your head and start getting into your heart. How? By reading good books, reading good le literature. Read those Arthurian legends. You know, read Lord of the Rings, which has this beautiful depiction of masculinity that's both strong and sensitive at the same time. 
read those like the the Odyssey of, uh, of Homer, or, you know, the, and things like that. Like, get in touch with these universal stories that get you out of the intellectual. Like, well, I just need to read some more like uh, psychology books or something. No, like read some stories mm. and also read some poetry. Like, really, like like there's some Shakespeare. I mean, his sonnets are just incredible. Um, you know, read Dante and the, you know, the divine comedy or like there's, there's an incredible, there's a new book that just came out. I'll just give a free plug here, but there's a new book, a uh, hundred great Catholic poems, look it up, buy it and, and just read some poetry and awaken your emotional life, that heart level. Uh, and, and, and that's getting in touch with a lover. Like, even if it's not in a romantic sense, like you're awakening that side of yourself it's capable of receiving things in a deeper way. Um, so, so that's my final exhortation is get out of your head and in your heart, read some good stories, read some good poems, listen to some beautiful music and like start learning to activate that. And, you know, the warrior comes more easily, but balance it out. Bring them in yes. the harmony. So wonderful. We've had Joseph Pierce on this show and Tony Asselon, two men that, that are men. One of them, you know, uh, was he a white supremacist or something? Yeah, that's, that's, you know, and then, yeah. yeah and he wrote, yeah. he he did that collection of poems. And then um, we had Tony Aslan, whose book, No Apologies, is not to be apologizing for being a man in this world. And he wrote this, he said it's his favorite book that he ever compiled. And then he got to write some of his own poems in that I think is so beautiful. And I'll just say, if reading poetry is difficult for you, flip through one of those compilations, find one that's only one page, start short, you can do it. I trust in you. Devin, I'd love to hear your thoughts, uh, final thoughts on on these two archetypes of man that we are trying to live. Yeah, I just think that the Lord gives us the command, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. I mean, we could write, we could stop right there. I mean, he doesn't begin with the mind. He doesn't begin with the strength. He begins with the heart. And I think about this, you know, you look at the saints who've the martyrs, the great martyrs, men who are martyrs, they fought for a while when they needed to fight. But in the end, there was there was this moment where it flipped and they were ready to give their life. And what was that difference? What was that switch that flipped on? It was love. Because there is no, I, I tell you what, if, I, if, if I'm loving myself, I'm going down duking it out, you know? I'm going to go down fighting, throwing my fist. But if that switch comes on for love for the divine lover and all that he's done for me, and I think this would be a great exercise for men to do is just sit back every morning or maybe a morning a week and just back and just go, Lord, ask him, I dare you <laughs> ask him, Lord, what is it that you've done for me? And then wait, and then just kind of start writing what comes to mind down and you won't have enough pages. And then you'll realize how much the divine lover loves you, and then you'll want to give back. That's the key. Inspiring to be inspired to give back is because we've been inspired to understand what we've received. Because St. Paul says, What can you give that you have not already received? So it's all about the heart, you know. Yes, the mind's important, all that, but man, we, we have to receive and acknowledge the reception of what we have, and then we'll get fired up to give. 
Well, man, if you liked what you just heard, head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus, where we go further into these topics of the archetypes of man, something that we all very much love talking about and are blessed uh, to know and to share with you. But now is the time in the episode that we always love doing, and that is the time to answer a question from one of our listeners. If you have a question, please just type it up in an email and send it over to us at podcast at catholicgentleman.com. It's uh, the link is in the show notes as well. If you just want to click on that, it'll open up your you know email in your browser and then you can uh, send us an email with whatever question it is. We love to answer these. So uh, today's question is um, about the mass and about men in church. So let's listen. How can I, we, get more fathers back to mass? Dr. Ray Garendi was quoted as saying, if fathers alone or with mom go to mass, their kids have a 70 to 80% chance of going to mass when they are adults. I look forward to hearing your answers. Awesome. I think that's a really good question. Um, How do we get more fathers back to mass? We all agree that when fathers start going to mass, when fathers start leading at a parish, it transforms the face of the church. And it's actually how God designed it. And so how do we go about bringing those men back to church? Well, I'd love to uh, pass it over to you, uh, Devin, and get your thoughts first. Sam, you go first. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. I'm walking into a minefield here. But no, really, like, I think there's one simple ingredient that, that really can change a lot for men. And that is simply restore the vertical dimension to the liturgy. It stop making it about us and start making it about God again. Now I said I know that sounds well, of course it's about God. It's the mass. Like, no, but a lot of times the way the, the mass is 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 celebrated, the way the mass is um prayed is so anthropocentric. Mm-hmm. Um, the priest is like making sure you can see everything. And, you know, the priest is like, you know, like, uh, talking down to you, like, you know, you're his audience and like putting on a little show for you. And, and like, it really has nothing to do about God at the end of the day. Um, and we look at like the traditional way the liturgy is celebrated and I don't want to make this a Latin mass versus no sort of thing. Like both can be, uh, abused and both can be celebrated reverently, but like, the traditional way the mass was celebrated facing East, you know, things like that. They all communicated a sense that you're not the audience. God is. And, you know, I think that whatever you do, however you like, whatever elements you bring into the, make it about God. He is the divine audience Um, and celebrate the liturgy as an offering and a sacrifice to God. I think if you look at, Going back even before Christianity to like the pagan world, like the like temple worship was like this solemn reverend thing. There was like this priestly, you know, group of people. And like there was like this reverence and this dignity. Now, of course, it could degenerate it as time went on into, you know, like, um, you know, sexual orgies and things like that. It's just terrible. But like, but the point being like men like the reverence, the dignity, the duty, the militaristic nature of like the order and the predictability and like the idea of sacrifice and all of those things. So that's what I would say. Restore dignity to the liturgy, restore the vertical dimension. Men want to kneel before something greater than themselves. They want to be awestruck before something. They want to kneel and offer their manhood to something greater than themselves. They don't want a tea time chat. Okay. Mm. Uh, You know, if you want to play tea, you can do that with your daughters 
but don't bring that into the liturgy. So that would be that would be a number one ingredient for me is like make it beautiful and they will come. Uh, and and I, I I think experience bears this out. Every parish that has reverent, beautiful, God centric liturgy has a lot of men in attendance. Every parish that's about you know you and your felt needs, the men don't want to come. Um, so. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Agreed. we've tried the appealing to the feminine experiment, felt banners and cute little covers, childlike covers on the missalettes and even missalettes. Felt banners. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It, it's just like my little pony for the Gloria. That's Glory right. to God, my little <laughs> pony. You know, it's yeah. like, okay, that does not work. But the reality here is we're handcuffed a bit as laymen. Yeah. And that this is really this comes down, Sam. You're you're totally spot on with everything you said, but the reality is is we're handcuffed, and the reason we're handcuffed is because so much rests in the authoritative power and the pastoral power of the priest, you yeah. know. And and so it's like I think as men we need to rally together and put a little pressure on Father So and So, and if we want a, a more reverent liturgy, if we want. And I really think that part of it is coming alongside of him and being a father. We want you at our men's group. Yeah, it, we're not we're not even asking. We're saying you need to be there. Why? Because there's a double effect. He helps us because we have a leader and we feel empowered by his leadership. But at the same time, we help him feel like a man. We help him become a man through camaraderie and brotherhood and even his own spiritual fatherhood, which is very important. And I think that you know a great example is there's a local priest here. I visited him. We were talking about things and his, his parish was basically dead. It was a downtown parish dead. He's not a Latin mass right guy. Okay. But he does things the right way with the Novos Ordo. But get this. He went to every family in his parish in the first year of his, of his assignment. And a lot of these people weren't even going. And he just said, tell me what I can do to just basically make make mass better, make make your experience of the Catholic Church better, all this. And he found that almost like eight times out of 10, I think he said, or something like that, that people were apologizing because they hadn't come back to mass. Now, fast forward, I went to one of these masses, standing room only, tons of men, not only men, young men, a lot of young men. But here's another component of what he has. Besides that relationship and that fatherly caring and that spirit of come back to the fold, I want you, his preaching is about Jesus. And this is this is something very interesting. Go to mass. I don't care if it's a TLM. I don't care if it's a Novo Sur. I don't care where you go. You get homilies that are like kind of like circumvent Jesus. They talk about a theme that might relate to Jesus, but they don't in a sense, a lot of times we don't get inside of Jesus. We don't know Jesus. What was he thinking? How is he feeling here? What does that mean for us? And how do we imitate that and live that? And I tell you what, for me, that right there, boom, I would bring men in droves. Come on, man, let's go hear this because I want you, I want you to know Jesus and to become like him. The preaching is huge. And we've got another local pastor here. His preaching's like that. And his daily mass, well over 50 people in a small rural parish and, and over half of them are men. So preaching has a lot to do with it too. Yeah. So 
It's funny, we all think alike. We've been having these conversations uh, for quite a while. And um, and I, I wanted to bring up kind of, I broke it up into two when I heard this question is that which we can't change and that which we can change, right? Because you used uh, the terms we're handcuffed to a degree and we are. And we need to call out our our, our fellow uh, priests and, and help them act as fathers, right? And do so with love, but honestly, with the, the direction uh, that the church has has given them and um, and in calling them to that. Because my first thing, too, is, is right there with you, Sam, is that when we feminize the liturgy, when we feminize, um, there, I, there's very little that men fear more than, you know, <laughs> having to be forced into an effeminate sort of uh, setting. Yes. And yes. when our church has become that and we are seeing that um, our kids get to decorate the altar with cotton balls and felt this and stuff like that, it is not beckoning to men who who are leading their families. And so these are all truthful statements and things that we need to pray for. And I believe are is actually what's going to bring men back to the mass in, in, in large part is, is the the bringing reverence back into the liturgy, but like true deep reverence, bringing holiness and into the preaching and standing up for what is right and what is true. And that is going to transform the the church. There are a couple practical things, though, that we can control. Is there a good men's group at your parish? If there's not, fill that void. If you don't have time to fill that void, somebody find somebody that you respect and fill that void. If that men's group can grow large enough and can have enough families in it that are this brotherhood that we were talking about as a form of love, right? Um, if that can be built within your parish, it is going to beckon other men. The next thing is that I would like to say is that we have to invite men to our parishes. If we're not reaching out there and inviting them and just expecting somebody else to do that, we substitute out our obligation to help bring men to the faith, we are we're never going to see that that transformation that we want. And so inviting them, you know, think of these opportunities. For instance, um, my son's being baptized. Uh, I will invite non-Catholics or cat falling away Catholics, you know, to the baptism, like, you know, come and experience that, uh, you know, Christmas, Easter, these sort of things, right? Looking for those opportunities. It doesn't matter if they're your neighbors, you know, always drop that, um, inviting them to the parish. So that's a couple of things, right? Is filling the voids that men can hold within the parish doing so, um, you know, with your priest, I think that's also another great way. Like Devin said, inviting them, um, and, uh, and in kind of building that culture, inviting them. The final thing that I'm going to say is that after mass, if you see a man in a family that you don't recognize, this can be really hard for people. Go over and say hello. If you've already said hello to them and three weeks later you forgot their name, go over and say hello again and apologize for forgetting their name. Be that source of, of reaching out to them and uh, and connecting with them so that they find a home of uh, within the community um, there. Again, things that we can control and things that I strongly encourage men. I've experienced it myself and it really changed uh, um, a lot of our parish. Uh, my wife and I traveled, we moved uh, seven times in 11 years. And as such, you know, I can tell you the two parishes that did that incredibly well. Um, and we're talking about TLM parishes and things and some of them just don't do that well at all. And so it's uh, it's very, very helpful. And I think that it's such a great question. So let us pray for our priests. Let us pray for the liturgy, um, bring back true, good and beautiful within, within the mass, within in the architecture of of the mass and um and then let us do our part as men uh with that which we can control
Awesome. So here at the end of the episode, uh, we like to put on the new man. And I'm so grateful for bringing Devin in. Secretly, this is why we have Devin on the show is because he's so good at these challenges and putting on the new man. Just kidding. Um, he, he is phenomenal at bringing on uh, these challenges. They're so good. I do them myself. And so Devin, I'd love to uh, dialogue with you briefly about putting on the new man and what is our uh, suggestion for uh, for men. If this is your first time listening, this is a challenge to you to actually do this week coming up. Yeah. So I think it'd be really important, you know, just based on this topic of the warrior pacifist, you know, kind of deficiency. So you've got the ambitious warrior on one hand, you've got the pacifist pusillanimous kind of man on the other hand. Right. Mm. And so I think what would be good for us as men is just to do a little personal inventory. And so I call it the examine of the warrior and well, basically the ambitious warrior and the pacifist. Mm. So basically there's four questions for the ambitious man, you know, to question and see if you're there and four questions to indicate how much of a pacifist am I? So the questions are this, I'll just, I'll just roll through them really quick and we can put them in the show notes if that's all right, yes, John. Absolutely. Okay. So I think on the ambitious warrior side, the guy who exceeds magnanimity about making honors about himself, the first question is this, do I seek to be honored uh, to make me feel better about myself? Okay. So whatever world you're living in, whether it's at work, whether you're, you're, you know, you're trying to buck to get noticed at work or whether it's on YouTube or whatever it is, social media, or just in your circles, do I try to get honor in order to make myself feel better about myself? Okay. That'd be the first question. The second question is, is in conversations, especially with our wives and our children, do I find myself becoming almost angry fighting to try to be right? You know, that's a big deal. It's not about the other person at the point. It's just about trying to be right. That would be another indication that we've moved past the true lover warrior and we've moved into ambition. Now, the other thing is, do I vent my anger unreasonably, <laughs> you know, on behalf of myself, not on justice sake, but I've been wronged and I want this person to feel that wrong. And something like that just happened to me this week. And I, I did okay for a little while and then I fell. So um, this is a good one, you know, is do I vent my anger unreasonably? Am I venting and talking about it and getting upset? And it's just all about me and just how I've been wounded, you know? Um, and then lastly, am I overbearing in my conversations? Am I a verbal bully? You know, am I, am I just talking down to people or monopolizing conversation or even, and this is a sign of kind of narcissist behavior is, am I bringing it back to myself, yeah. you know, over and over, you know, talking about me, talking about my problems, talking about what's going on in me rather than actually getting into the other person. Now with the pacifist or the pusillanimous man, that is the faint hearted man, this guy, he's if he's in us, he's all about avoiding confrontation, okay? He's all about fear, and he loves the nice guy gospel. So the questions to ask are, first of all, am I fearful? Do I have a fear about talking about my faith? Maybe it's to someone at work. Maybe it's to someone, you know, just at a neighbor. Am I fearful of that? Second of all, uh, am I fearful of praying with others or telling others that I'm praying for them, and they're not in your church group? Okay. So like people in public, people you meet at work, etc. 
Are you, and then the third, are you fearful of confronting others with the truth when you know they've spoken incorrectly, when you know they've done something against the Lord Jesus? I just heard this great story of this woman. She was at a grocery store and this person was swearing and then they brought in the Lord's name and the GD and all this. And this woman, this friend of ours said to the, leave Jesus out of it. Mm -hmm, And I'm like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, wow, that's an awesome line. Awesome line. So are you fearful of confronting others with the truth? And um, we got to practice at this. There's a charitable way of doing it, but sometimes confrontation is demanded. And then lastly, are we afraid to lose our safety and security because of what Jesus demands of us? Okay. So those would be some questions. And I'm sure you probably got some other ones, but I think that those are a good start. And I think we should do the exam probably twice this week, you know, yeah. just kind of go through it prayerfully before the Lord and ask him what he thinks. And I'm sure other questions will arise. I think that's powerful. And Devin, I am so grateful. I will be doing that myself. But I want to just bring up a a point of clarity here. It might seem like you are one or the other, but I think the you exactly that you might have a temperament that disposes you to one or the other. But honestly, if you're being uh, true to yourself, when you go through those examines, you're going to see situations in all of this, in which yeah, fear of confrontation, a fear of conflict, or yeah, this sort of um, f- finding your yourself and your identity in how other people look at you, respect you, or pay attention to yeah. you, you know, are all things that that we um we all fall into and, and can. And so, Devin, I'm I'm so grateful for those points. And uh, yeah, yeah, well, please. And, and to to your point, excellent because the virtues in the middle, the golden mean here. What is it? It's to strive after excellence without without being attached to your excellence is striving to do honorable things without being honored. And so that's that middle thing. If you middle, you know, virtues right there, it's like the peak on a stainless steel mountain, you know, and both sides are very slippery. And so on one hand, you slide toward ambition and honors herself on the other side. It's just, let's get along gospel. And chances are, as we move from one we kind of cross the center, <laughs> yeah, move over, like yeah. you're saying, move over to the other, and you go oh, oh, back on the other side. Ah, you see, you're trying to keep that balance, which is very difficult to your point. Yeah. Wow. So great. So men, keep your prayer life up, learn to be receptive, be consistent in that, be active in that so that you can become a better warrior, that you can become a better lover. What a blessing. I really appreciate the time. So as we end each of our episodes, be a man, be a saint. <laughs>